Well, we're continuing in our journey uh, through the book of Philippians this evening, and I told you last week that Philippians is my favorite book in the New Testament, and the passage of Scripture that we're looking at uh, this evening it has had the biggest impact on my life, uh, probably more so than any uh, other scripture, and I would go so far to say that that the passage that we're uh, speaking about tonight has literally saved my life, and it's really close to me, and uh, I'm really excited that you guys are here and we get to share it together. Um, but before we jump into that, this is what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to turn to somebody, preferably somebody you do not know, make sure you know their name and ask them this question. What was a life-changing moment? in your life. Mine's very vivid in, in my mind. It was June 1st, 16 years ago. I was newly married. I had just got married in December. And my life up until that, that time really consisted of obtaining things and goals. Uh, I had some very clear-cut things that I wanted out of life because I thought that it would bring fulfillment and I thought that it would bring me happiness. I thought if I could make enough money and if I could live in a certain place and if I drove the car that I wanted and I married a certain type of, of person that my life would all come together and uh, all those things had fallen into place that I wanted to live at the beach and I was living at the beach. I was driving the car that I wanted. I had married the person that I, um, I thought would make me happy. And I collected all of these things in life. What I also had collected was a pretty nasty drug habit and um, an alcohol habit along, along the way. And I didn't know it at the time, but it was a real coping mechanism uh, for what was happening inside. And on June 1st, 16 years ago, uh, I woke up and my wife was already gone. I'm not sure where she was. And I kind of crawled out of bed and just kind of, you know, we all kind of do our normal routine in the morning. And, and I had mine and I went into the bathroom and doing my stuff and washing my face. And I remember looking up and I did something I hadn't done for a long, long time. I looked myself in the eyes. And as I stood there and I stared into these eyes, they were empty, hollow, what I did see was just a, just a corrupt shell of a person who had sold himself to the lowest bidder just to get ahead, had slept around way too much, had, had cheated on so many different things. And as I, as I looked at myself in that mirror, I just didn't even recognize the soul that was inside and the soul that I recognized or saw was just completely bankrupt and void of any value. And at that moment, I decided that I was going to kill myself. 
I had enough respect for my new bride that I wasn't going to do it in the house. So what I did was I got in the car and, and I lived in Redondo Beach at the time. And you know when you're watching movies and you see uh, the Pacific Ocean and you see the cliffs and all the rich people, that's Palos Verdes. And that was uh, just up the hill from where, where I lived. And I decided, you know what, I'm just going to go up there and I'm, it's really curvy and cars drive off it all the time. I'm just going to be one of them and just put, put an end to myself, put an end to the misery that I'm going to, you know, put on my wife probably in the future and just be done with it. As I got in the car, um, I just started driving. I was driving that way, but... I kind of lost thought. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but I ended up at work. And I was sitting in my office just kind of contemplating, you know, when I was going to go up there and do it. And all of a sudden, um, I'm told that my, my father is here. Now, I hadn't seen my father for six months prior. And he was preparing to go on tour in Europe where he was going to be gone for um, several months. My dad and I did not have a good relationship, but being a good dad, he decided to come and say goodbye to his son. And he didn't probably realize how permanent this goodbye was going to be. And we kind of just had some surface talk. We really didn't have much of a relationship. And I thanked him for coming, and he was kind of about to leave. And, and something inside me just said, Dad, can, can we talk for a minute? He said, yeah, sure. You know, no problem. So we went into my office and we sat on the, on the couch and I started opening up to another human, something that I hadn't done for a lot of years. Just being honest about how I was feeling, what I was doing. And I sat there and I just poured out my heart to him and I ended up just saying, Dad, I just don't want to live anymore. I just want to die. I'll never forget what he did. He smiled. And I thought to myself, I've got to church it up a little bit. Um, uh, this jerk, you know, I just told him that I, I, I wanted to die. And he's sitting there with a smirk on his face. And he looks at me and says, your mother and I have been praying for this day. And I'm like, thanks a lot. <laughs> just confirm it, you know, just, you know, you want to pay for the gas, you know, what's up? And, and he's all like, he's like, we've been praying that you would come to an end of yourself. The end of what you could do. And to look for something that is larger than yourself. And he said, you have never experienced what it is to have a relationship with the Creator of the universe through His Son, Jesus Christ. You know what I said? Not this religion crap again, Dad. That's what I said to him. Just not interested. He looked at me and said, no. I know what you've seen. I know that you, the reason you left the church when you were young, and he's all like, I'm not talking about religion. He says, I'm talking about 
an authentic relationship with the one true living God. And he goes on to tell me about what that looks like and what that means. And at that moment, I, I gave my life to, to Christ and been trying to follow Him as best I could or can ever since. Now, he told me that I needed to go find some counseling and I needed to go see a medical doctor and, and uh, to get plugged into you know, a church and things like that because I was going to need support. And I knew I was kind of messed up, but I didn't really know what it, what it was. I, was. I was very good, as most of us are, at, at self-deception. We, we, we isolate ourselves from the reality about ourselves and our, and our condition as a, as a coping mechanism. And I was like, well, okay, I'll go see a medical doctor. So I went and saw a medical doctor and my, my wife came with me. And as we sat in that office, he, he opened up a, a book and he asked me several questions, several questions that, that I'm going to share with you that he opened up and he said, Mark, how's your energy level been? And I was like, well, it's been really, it's been really low. It's been hard to do things. And he's like, would you say you're exhausted? And I'm like, yeah, actually, you know, not like a physical, like it is like a physical exhaustion, but not like from just going out and, you know, working out all day or something like that. Just, just an exhaustion, just a holistic exhaustion from your mind and your your spirit and your body and everything. In fact, I shared with my dad that that I was so exhausted that I felt like my next breath was going to be my last because my body and spirit were just going to give up. He said, you know, do you have disturbed sleeping patterns? You know, and I'm like, well, you know, sometimes I sleep all day and then I and then other times, you know, I, I can't sleep at night or I can't get to sleep. And if I do sleep, it's like a really restless sleep. And he's like, okay. He's like, do you excessively worry? I'm like, what's excessive? What's, you know, like, you know, like can you not let things go? And I'm like, no, you know, I can't. You know, I, I always go to the worst case scenario. And he's like, well, what about irritability? Are you irritable? I'm like, well, Shannon, my wife, said, yeah, you know, she answered that one. And really, when someone is uh, uh, struggling with depression and anxiety, it takes so much energy just to exist that there's very little left to, to uh, be civil. And there's a very thin layer between uh, just your facade and a raw nerve. He goes on, he says, have you ever had a panic attack or anything like that? And I'm like, wow, yeah, you know, once I was in Costco and, you know, and I was sitting there and I, you know, Costco has these ginormous baskets, right? And, you know, I'd filled it up and I was standing in line and all of a sudden, I just had this sense of panic that I had to get out. And I knew rationally that everything was okay but I just, I had this overwhelming sense that I just needed to leave, so I just left my basket. 
filled with all the Costco goodies and just left. He goes, do you feel worthless? And I'm like, yeah, obviously I was going to, you know, whack myself. You know, of course I feel worthless. And, and he's like, what about headaches? And back then I used to get headaches all the time. Like every single day I get headaches and then a lot of times they'd turn into migraines. And, he, and then he's like, well, what about last, loss of appetite for, for food or sex or adventure or anything like that? And I'm like, yeah, you know, uh, I had actually gone from about 220 pounds to about uh, 186 and not healthy, just like just not eating and just um, all this kind of stuff. And, and he's like, he's like, shuts his book and he's all, you're depressed. And I never thought about it before, and I, and I said, no, I'm not. I said, I'm not depressed. I live at the beach. This is seriously, this is how much of self-denial I was in. I'm like, I live at the beach. I drive what I want. I have a great job, and look at my wife. You know, she's gorgeous. I'm, I'm not depressed. I don't have anything to be depressed about. And he's like, well, <laughs> that's what it is, you know, and, and, you know, that started me on a journey, and I remember, I remember going to a church and meeting with a pastor and telling him about my diagnosis and wondering if, if um, you know, this church was the right place for me. And I look back on, on that encounter, and although it was okay and that pastor did the best that he could, you got to remember this was 16 years ago. People didn't talk about these things. You know, I look back on it now, and I think, you know, our faith system, those of us who put our, our, our faith in Jesus Christ, is based on us admitting that we are broken and messy. And that, and it just blows me away that that depression and anxiety that people who have this are somehow that this is not an acceptable Christian thing. And it just blows me away. And the consequences of that attitude has had devastating consequences on families and people. Too many that I can count. And I think it's high time that, that, that we as the church, and I'm not talking about E3, I'm talking about the church, the people who are say that they're followers of Christ, open up our church doors and say, you know what? We accept you too. That God loves you I remember the pain and the anguish for the years to come. And I would search through the Bible for answers. And I remember coming across one of Paul's teachings where one time he was talking about how he had a thorn in the flesh. And I think the Holy Spirit was so brilliant by not telling us what that thorn in the flesh was. Because to me, Paul had depression and anxiety. To you, maybe, you know, he was dyslexic. You know, I, you know, to others, it was his eyes. 
But it really doesn't matter because you know what the truth is that I have found? We all have adversity. This is something that we all share. In some reason, the American church has, has predicated this idea that if you're a follower of Christ, everything has to be neat and shiny and, and, and plastic in order for you to be accepted into this Christian faith. And it's just a load of hooey. Scubalon, thank you. Just a load of scubalon. Our faith requires us to be honest about where we are. We are all broken, that all of our brokenness manifests itself in different ways. For Paul and his thorn in the flesh, it's one way. For me, it's one way. For you, it's another way. But the reality is that it is a lie that a family that you know across the street or a person at your work has it all together because they do not. And the beautiful thing about this scripture was that Paul said that he petitioned the Lord three times to take away this adversity. I can tell you that I've petitioned the Lord way more than three times to take away my depression and anxiety over the years. Prayers like, God, I could serve you so much better if I wasn't in the fetal position in the dark. (laughs) I could serve you so much better if my, my... Propensity for adversity was larger and I could, I could interact with people, you know, just one after another. And each time that Paul prayed that, you know what God said to him? He said, my grace, my love, is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in your weakness. You know how beautiful that is? That God's power is perfected in our weakness. And that changes our adversity from something that is holding us back to something that is a stage for the glory of God. And I can't tell you how many people that I have been able to to connect with because of my depression and anxiety and to, to share with them that, you know what? That God knit you together in your mother's womb. That God did not make a mistake when he gave me depression and anxiety and he did not make a mistake when he allowed your adversity into your life that He has entrusted you with this gift. You know, I had a mentor once tell me, he said, you know what, if you were perfect and you never experienced anything bad, what good or what value would you be? You couldn't relate with anybody. 
But when you are entrusted with a certain adversity, that God gives you a stage and a ministry to speak life and to speak hope in the hearts of the lonely and the neglected and the forgotten. Along the way, I chose, I said, you know what, God, if you can use this, then use it for all of your glory because I just can't see it. And this is why today's scripture is so important because I've shared it hundreds of times over a cup of coffee with somebody because this passage of scripture has helped me through countless sleepless nights. And I want to share it with you. It's in Philippians chapter 4. In verse 4, and Paul starts out by saying, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Here we're reminded that we need to be full of joy. Those of us who suffer or have anxiety and depression or any kind of adversity need to be reminded to have joy. And then he he says it again, I'll say it again, rejoice. There's something about just having external laughter that is good for the soul. And by having higher thoughts and, and knowing who God is and focusing on Him and rejoicing in that. In verse 5, he says, Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. You know, letting people be, see that you're considerate in everything you do. You know what depression and anxiety does to you? It makes you want to withdraw. It wants you, makes you want to be isolated. And you know what? Depression thrives in isolation. It thrives in the dark. And that's why the church has done such a misjustice to such a large segment of the population by not openly talking about this. Because once depression is brought in the open, that it loses its power. In fact, most adversities are that way. God somehow redeems them when they're brought into the open. But it's so important to let your actions be shown. Even if you don't feel about it, that you are considerate to all. And when you're considerate to all, putting others' needs ahead of your own, it, what does it do? It takes you from your own self-pity party and it starts putting your focus on others. And that's when healing starts to happen. The next thing he says is don't worry about anything Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Yeah, it's easy, you think, for somebody to write, don't worry about anything, right? Easy enough to do. You know, but he goes on, he says, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He has done. This idea that that at night when I was having a hard time and I couldn't sleep and I was tossing and turning and all these things that I 
I would do this. I, I, would, I would pray to God and tell him exactly what he needs, what I need. I would tell him, you know, it's sometimes, I didn't know if I was going to make it one more minute in this life. And I'd say, God, I just need to make it one more minute. I just need to make it one more minute after that minute. Other times it was an hour. Sometimes, it, you know, let me make it through to tomorrow. But telling him exactly what I need. But then followed up, thanking him for everything he has done. <laughs> Thank you for allowing me to live this one more minute. Thank you for, for bringing a wife who hasn't left me through all of this. Thank you for providing a roof over my head. And what that's doing is once again, taking your mind out of the now, which depression thrives in, and it lies to you and tells you that it's always been this way and it's always going to be this way. And it starts to open up your mind to bigger things, showing you that what God has done in your life, He has been there with you all along. And then he says that God's peace will, which exceeds anything we can understand, His peace will guard our hearts and our minds as we live in Jesus. And my mind and those people who who have depression and anxiety need guarding. And God promises us that if we do this, that He will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Then He kind of switches here. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me, everything you heard and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. And you know how this plays out? When I was laying there and trying to sleep, I would go through these these things. And I'd say, okay, what is true? And to be honest with you, I had lived in such a lie for so many years that it was difficult for me to find things that were true, that I believed were true. Not the Sunday school answers and stuff like that, but what in the depth of my soul, what I believed was true. And I remember what I started out with. I remember saying, I know my wife loves me. I know my wife loves me. I knew that was true. And I would build upon that. I know that there is a God. And I would go through each and every one of these things. What is honorable? I would try to go through a list of what is honorable and what is right. Because you know what? When you ha- you're in the midst of the wilderness of depression, your mind just goes to dark places. And if you don't train your mind to think of higher things, that you'll just go into a toilet bowl spiral right into the sewer. Been there and done that. And this is so important for those of you who who do not suffer or have never suffered with depression or anxiety and you're connecting with people, to know that, you know what, their minds are just instantly going to the negative. And you need to sit there and help them think about the positive things. Think about the things that are true in their life. Think about the things that are honorable and right and pure. 
Paul continues, says, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have a chance to help me. You know, this idea of concern is huge. Before I was honest about how I was feeling, I felt that I was all alone. I honestly thought that I was the only person who was not in a, you know, insane asylum that had ever felt this way. And there was amazing healing power when I finally was just open about it and said, you know what, this is the way God has wired me and this is the way that I am. And what I found happened was there was people who were genuinely concerned about me and loved me. I had a friend during the darkest days of my life who would meet with me each and every morning and we would go walk or, or jog, or, and it was like a jog walk kind of thing that we would do. And then we would go to this coffee shop on the beach. And it was always funny. We'd get in from our jog walk thing, and there was this like Norwegian woman. She was a, just this hideous lady. And, and we'd walk in, and she'd talk like this. And she's like, did you guys run? And we'd say, yeah, we, we ran. No, you didn't. Same thing every day. And they never believed that we'd run. No, you didn't. And it's like, well, can we just have our coffee, <laughs> you know? And so she would begrudgingly give us our coffee, and, and we would sit there. And, you know, out of the countless hours that my friend sat there with me, there's one thing that I just remember him saying again and again and again. Mark, it's going to get better. It's going to be all right. And I would say, I know, Jim, I know. But he would tell me again and again and again until I believed it was true. And just knowing that there was someone there who was willing to walk the wilderness with me and other people who came alongside me during those times was huge. And if you're suffering from depression and anxiety, you need those people. And you may be sitting there saying, there's nobody out there. That's a crock. They are. There's a whole world of people who want to walk this with you and help you. For those of you who are just trying to do the best you can, you know what? All you need to do is one thing. Be there. Be there for your friend. Then he finally says this. He says, I know how it is to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And what Paul's saying here is we cannot have circumstantial faith. Sometimes in our life, we're going to be on a high. Sometimes we're going to be on a low. Sometimes in our life, this verse, for I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthened me. You know what that means? It means that through Christ Jesus, I can make it one more minute on this miserable planet. And other times, 
it can mean, you know what? Look at God's great creation. And I have just got this God-sized idea of how I am going to be his conduit of love and and mercy to a lost and hurting world. But the truth is that God is in with you through every circumstance, regardless of the good and the bad. He is the God of the mountains, and he is the God of the wilderness. And he will never leave you. I want to leave you with this. I share all this, like I, I said, because I think that the church needs to talk about these things. If we can't talk about these things here, where can we? But also, I want to equip you guys because there, you know, even if you don't know it, you know people who are, who are feeling alone and hurting and they're looking for hope. And God has entrusted you in their presence. To be their hope. And for those of you who are suffering from depression and you think that you're just messed up and you're never going to be good to anyone, it's not true. In Ephesians 2.10, God says, one of my favorite verses, we are God's master created anew in Christ Jesus to do the things that he has planned for us long ago. God has entrusted you with this adversity. And he can use it to be a hope to a lost and hurting world and you can be part of that. Will you guys pray with me? Lord, there's so much hurt and pain and loneliness in this world and it has no place in your church. God, let us be a people that can be real and honest about our circumstance. That we can bring our pain and our hurt into the light. God, I pray that we will all find that we will not find rejection, but we will find acceptance and love and understanding. That we will find a community that is willing to walk through the wilderness with us and to whisper into our ear, it's going to be okay. God has a plan for your life, and he loves you. In Jesus' name. Ow. Ow.